Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, We're continuing to walk through a series um, that talks about the events surrounding the return of Jesus Christ because right now there's a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, and especially a whole lot of misinformation. Um, and most of the fear and confusion is because people just don't know, which, which makes sense. And whenever something crazy happens in our communities or in the nation or around the world, people think, oh no, we're here. We're in the biblical end times. That, that's it. We're here. But we're not. And I kid you not. And again, I'm not trying to call people out. I'm not trying to embarrass people or whatever. But someone messaged me um, and said that, hey, just so you know, we're in that seven-year end-time Bible tribulation. And they said it started September, I think, yeah, he said September 2017. And then seven years from that, he said October 24th. That's when Jesus is coming back. And I try to be nice when people send me information like that and just give them, well, here's what the Bible says, because the Bible says specifically in that seven years, first three and a half years are going to be just like global kumbaya. The world will be at peace, right? Here's the problem I had with what he said, because that three and a half years from October 2017 goes all the way up to the beginning of 2021. There was racial division. There were riots in the streets. There was a global pandemic. I was like, that's not three and a half years of peace. And the the next three and a half years are supposed to be the worst the world has ever seen. And I'm like, well, yeah, people lost their jobs then, and people are getting jobs now, but times are still hard. There's no way that we've seen that seven-year period, right? We're, we're, We're just not there regardless of what people think. And it's not my opinion. I just weighed against, here's what the Bible says. And what you say doesn't match up with what the Bible says, right? So um, that's one of the reasons we're, we're doing this series, to help create correct biblical information about the return of Christ. Because the Bible says it's supposed to be something that we're encouraged by and we look forward to, not that we're scared of, and go run hide underground because of, right? So last week we said that there are two, I'm going to keep holding on to this, two returns of Christ. Uh, The return of Jesus in the clouds, where he comes and he gathers all of his people, more of a, I mean the whole return of Jesus Christ is a supernatural thing, but this is definitely supernatural. And then the return of Jesus to the earth, and we kind of last week focused on the return of Jesus to the earth, uh, because the Bible says that that's going to occur after a very specific set of events, like global war, yes, but then a specific war in Jerusalem where Jesus returns, uh, and if he, it says if he hadn't returned, that humanity would wipe itself out, right? Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, for then, this is Jesus talking about that time, there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And then he says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, I'm going to put this up in another version of the Bible. 
Just a different translation because the amplified version takes the English words that we translate it into and then expounds on them so you get a bigger, better picture. And then the amplified version, it says this, same verse, for then there will be great tribulation, which is what a lot of versions say. There's going to be tribulation. That's why it's called the great tribulation. Affliction, distress, oppression, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be again. And here, this is key. Right? Because if we believe Jesus, what Jesus says, then what Jesus is saying is when he says this, 32, 33 AD, uh, when he says this, he's saying, hey, this is going to be so bad that no time from the beginning of the world until his time and no time from his time until after is going to be as bad as this. And it's kind of bad today, but it can get worse. Right? Most of us have a place to live. Most of us have food on our table. But he says, no human being, and if those days had not been shortened, and they're cut short by the return of Jesus Christ, he said, no human being would endure and survive. Humanity would wipe itself out. Not just because of uh, the, the oppression, not just because of the wars going on, but also uh, unprecedented natural disasters on a scale that the world has not ever seen right? Inflation that it talks about. Now, in the, in, the, in the Bible, it talks about using terms that people were relatable to at that time. I use that incorrectly. Could relate to at that time, right? So it talks about the price of bread and wine skyrocketing, right? If it were writing to us today, it would say, hey, the price of cigarettes and wings are going to be like out of control, right? Because that, that's what people, I mean, I, I, I haven't smoked in like 20-something years, but I looked the other day, and the price of cigarettes in New York are $15 a pack. Nothing against anyone who smokes, but I feel like you got to take off a loan if you smoke a pack or two a day for the month. That adds up. And, and you already have to take out a loan for wings, right? So now imagine the price so out of control. Imagine $30, $40, $50 for a pack of cigarettes. Imagine, I mean, I don't know what the price of wings is now in the restaurant because I just don't want to pay that much, but I imagine it just out of control. And that's what the world will be like. That will be the norm in that time. That's, that, that, that's what the Bible says. So, no, we haven't hit there yet, but it's going to be bad. So this week, that was about the return of Christ. This week, uh, I want to focus not on the return of Jesus to the earth, but the return of Jesus to the clouds, which is the one that takes place first. I have to put out a precursor to this and say that not a lot of Christians believe that this will take place. That's okay. That's okay. Can you imagine, right, can you imagine, and I'm going to use this because it's an example, many of the parents in the room can identify, and we were children, we might have identified with this. Can you imagine waiting to be picked up by your parents after school, right, and they don't show up on time. And so you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and then you're waiting there with your siblings, and they say, well, I think they're going to show up at this time. And the other sibling says, no, I think they're going to show up at this time, and the other one says, it's going to be much later than that. You all have to wait together. Not a big deal, right? But imagine if they start fighting and hating each other over it. That doesn't make sense. So it's okay if you disagree with me, because you can be wrong if you want to, but 
The Bible specifically gives us information. That's all I'm reading to you is here's what the Bible says. There are Christians who disagree with me. That's okay. We're still friends. We still love one another. But there are some who are like, I cannot even talk to you if you believe this. And hopefully we can move past that to say, even if we meet people who agree or disagree or whatever, it's okay. We're all still waiting for the return of Jesus together. It's not worth fighting over, right? So Jesus says this. He says this in Matthew 24. uh, He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Now, this is a little bit different from the one where he's just laid out throughout the Bible and he laid out in Matthew 24. Here are the specific set of events that are going to lead up to my return. But now he says he's got to be speaking about another return because he says no one knows when this is going to happen. The angels in heaven don't know. The son, he doesn't know. Only the father knows. And he says this. He says, therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what he meant by keep watch. Um, We're going to explain what that means because the Bible has a lot of information about this specific return. Paul gave a lot of information about it in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, pull it out, turn to 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Uh, But while you're turning there, I want to share this. Because we did a series where we walked through the entire I was going to say the entire book, both books of First and Second Thessalonians, uh, right? Uh, I think it was 2018 uh, in a series called In the End. And the reason I called it In the End is because Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, that's why it's called First and Second Thessalonians, to correct information, fear, and confusion about the return of Christ. He also was able to communicate to them, hey, here's kind of what it means to watch. When it, when it says, when Jesus says, hey, this is why you should keep watch because you don't know when I'm coming, he doesn't mean get out binoculars and you're looking up in the sky and, and like, is that a UFO or is that Jesus? He has a specific set of things that we should be doing whilst we await the return of Christ, right? So we're going to walk through um, First and Second Thessalonians, and I was going to put a lot of the verses up here on screen because we're not going to go through the whole book. We're just going to jump at a bunch of verses where Paul kind of lays it out. But I want you to see I am not making this up. I'm not twisting the scripture. This is what the Bible says. So uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, there's one on the table, left, right, underneath your chair, somewhere around you. And First Thessalonians, uh, drop down to verse 8 of uh, chapter 1. Sorry, we're actually starting at the beginning. And if you're using the Bibles on the table, here's the page it's on. It's on page 835. Uh, Drop down to verse 8. Here's what it says. Paul is talking about the Thessalonians. He says in verse 8, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. So he's talking to them. And he's talking about the fact that because of the way they live their life and because they share the gospel, other people are aware of their faith. He says, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves, meaning all these other people, report what kind of reception you gave us. They, these other people, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. 
So this is what Paul is telling the people in Thessalonica. He's like, other people are talking about your faith and how what wonderful Christians you are and how you used to worship idols, but now you worship God and how you wait for his return, and this is key, to rescue us. When he says us, he means not just you, Thessalonike, Nike, and Nike, and you people, but all of us who are Christ followers from the coming wrath. Now, again, I'm going to put this up in two other versions because I want you to see uh, what language is being used. This is the amplified version. Again, translates it into English and then takes those English words and expands on them. It says, how you look forward and await the coming of his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus who personally, which is why he's coming back, rescues and delivers us out of and from the wrath bringing punishment, which is coming upon the impenitent. None of us, I'm guessing, in the last 10 years, in our everyday language, use the phrase impenitent. It's a religious word that just means those people who did not repent. So this is, this is what he's saying. Hey, God is going to pour out his wrath and punish those people who did not repent from their sins. And we're going to talk about why, right? And, and he's coming personally to rescue us, Christians, from that wrath. So we're not going to go through that, right? Uh, in the complete Jewish Bible version, which is how the Jewish mind would have read and received this, it says to wait for his son Yeshua, that's Jesus, whom he raised from the dead to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury of God's judgment. So the wrath that God's going to pour out, uh, that word wrath literally translates to violently angered reaction. Right? So God's not going to pour that out on his people. He sends Jesus to rescue us so that we don't have to go through that. Right? Uh, now jump over to verse, or excuse me, chapter 2 and drop down to verse 19. So Paul again is talking to them and he says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes... Again, emphasizing that he's going to return. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, chapters didn't exist in the Bible when Paul wrote this, right? It was just one big, long, run-on letter. And then I think it was like 1611 that, I forget the name of the guy, added chapters and verses to make it easier to read and to find stuff. But if you look in every single chapter, the way it's broken up, Paul is constantly, consistently reminding them about the return of Christ. Jump over to chapter 3, verse 11. He says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. Now, I'm going to put this verse on screen just as it is in the NIV because there's some confusion about it because he says that may God strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless, right? And a lot of people take that to mean, wait a second, does that mean he's not coming for every Christian? And Paul explains this later. 
He's coming for every Christian. He's not coming for everyone who calls themselves a Christian, right? There's a lot of people that have been sitting in the pews and in the churches for decades, for all their life, but they are some of the meanest, angriest, hateful people you could ever meet. And just because they call themselves a Christian doesn't mean they are. And the Bible makes that clear. But he also says, uh, in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And some people have taken that because in the context of that paragraph, it doesn't identify who the holy ones are. And some places in the Bible, the holy ones are referred to as the Christians, the saints, that he's going to come back with them. That's what they take that as. And other places, the holy ones are referred to as angelic beings or heavenly beings. So a lot of people have confusion about what that means. But as we're going to see, uh, if you turn over to chapter 4, Paul explains it, who he's referring to as the holy ones. So in chapter 4, drop down to verse 13. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That's a, a, a gentle term, a way of saying those who passed away or those who have died. He said, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And we can all acknowledge that there is some encouragement in knowing that the loved ones who have like, passed away before us, if they're Christians, we get to see them again, Right? We get to know them again. Uh, there was a, a woman who sent me a message, and she asked, hey, will I know my relatives when I'm in heaven? And then she asked, will my husband still be my husband when I'm in heaven? Um, and, and I was telling Christy, uh, when I make, like, videos to answer questions, I have, like, 50 of them waiting to get posted, and about half of those are people asking questions. And I'm like, I only post, like, two or three a day, so some of these people aren't going to get answers till June. Right? So I'm, I'm trying to find a way to expand more. Um, but her question, I was like, yeah, you will know people. Because when, well, I don't know if you guys remember this, and we talked about this when we went through Mark. When Jesus and the disciples were uh, on the Mount of Olives, and it talks about Jesus being transfigured, and it talks about Moses and Elijah appearing. And Peter knew exactly who they were. And it wasn't because he had seen selfies of them. He hadn't seen them out at restaurants. He had no idea what they looked like, right? It wasn't like he could go to a history book and say, yeah, there they were. But he knew exactly who they were. And it's because of the relationship that we will have when we get to heaven. And she asked, well, will my husband be my husband? And Jesus answered this because someone asked him, hey, when people, uh, and they gave him an example of a, a, a man who got married to a woman, then he died, she married someone else, he died, she married someone else, he died, not saying she was killing them, but they died. And then they said, well, when they get to heaven, whose wife will she be? And Jesus said, you don't understand the power of God. Because it's not that they're going to be husband and wife. We're going to be like the angels in heaven. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be angels. A lot of people misinterpret that to say when we die, we become angels. But we're going to have the relationship that they have to one another and to God. Our husbands, our wives, our moms, our children, our grandparents, we will love them on a whole other level that we can't experience on this earth. The people that great, 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 great grandmother of mine never met, never saw a picture of, but I will know who she is and experience a relationship and love with her that is unimaginable. The relationship we have with our spouses will be so much deeper, so much stronger, so far beyond the level of intimacy we think we can achieve on this world that our minds can't grasp it. 
Because that's the kind of love God wants us to have for one another and that he has for us. So that's how we'll, we'll experience that, right? Uh, finishing this, he says in verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe, and when he says we, he's talking about the apostles. This is their belief. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So in that previous verse where he was talking about who the holy saints are that were coming with Jesus, that's who he's talking about. According to the Lord's own word, so according to Paul, this is what Jesus said, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Excuse me. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, when it says caught up together, uh, it's not the Greek. I think it's the Latin phrase for caught up when they transferred uh, the Greek Bible into Latin. The Latin phrase for caught up is raptus, where we get the term rapture. It's just being come to known as this is what is called the rapture, where we're caught up together uh, in the clouds to meet with God. And every time you read about it, it says what Paul says here. It's an encouragement. Encourage one another with these words. The return of Christ is supposed to be an encouragement, not something that we fear, not something that we dread, not something that we like go, oh my gosh, I, I, I hate to think about when that occurs. In fact, many of us are like, come now, Jesus, because I'm like done with everything going on in this world, right? Uh, so jump over to chapter 5, verse 14, and it says this. And we urge you, and this is important, he says we urge you, we're like begging you, we're coming short of commanding it, but we are urging you, to, he's telling the Thessalonians, and likewise to us, brothers, warn those who are idle. And when he talks about those who are idle, he's saying those people who, who again, claim to be Christians, but they're not living like it. They're not living out their Christian faith. If you go out week to week to week, you can't tell the difference between what they're doing and the way they're living and the same people that are hating on people, uh, cursing people out, and everything else. And he, he gives examples because he says, encourage the timid, which is what we're supposed to do. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong because that's not who we are. Doesn't mean we're supposed to be a, a doormat that people just walk over. But it does mean that we're not supposed to be the ones who are like, I'm going to get you for this. Right? He says, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And this is important. Like, hey, loving your neighbor like yourself, that's Christianity 101. That's the basics of Christianity. Loving people, and, and Jesus goes to great detail. We've talked about this a million times here, to great detail to say, hey, your neighbor, not necessarily the guy who lives next door to you or down the block from you and won't cut his grass and allows his dog to poop in your yard. Not just him are you supposed to love, but the person who doesn't look like you, who doesn't think like you, who doesn't vote like you, who doesn't believe what you believe, you're still supposed to love them. That's what we're called to do right? He says, be joyful 
always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, and this is what it's meant by keeping watch. We're supposed to continue to live this way while we await the return of Christ. He says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. And what he means by that is that the Holy Spirit in us will convict us when we try not to do these things. When I do decide I'm going to pay someone back, when I do decide I'm not going to be patient with someone, the Holy Spirit's going to be like, hey, Floyd, this is how God wants you to do it. Maybe give them a little bit more time. Maybe show them a little bit more grace. But if I decide, hey, you know what? Shut up, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to go after them. That's what he's talking about by putting out the Spirit's fire. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt because the whole reason we have put our faith in what will happen in the end times, all the prophecies, is because every single Old Testament prophecy has already been fulfilled. 100% accuracy. And when we do get to the book of Nahum, the book we were supposed to go through, uh, that talks about the destruction of how God judged um, or was going to judge many of these nations, there's historical evidence, like so many pieces, that shows the thing God said was going to happen, happened. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But here's what he also says, and this is important. Test everything. No one should take what I say and say, well, I'm just going to go, my pastor said. You should take what I say and say, like, does it really say that? Is he twisting this? Is this what this means? Test everything. And here's the test. Test it by the word of God. Don't test it by what I believe. Don't test it by what you've been brought up as. Or take what you've been brought up as and test it by the word of God. I know people who were brought up in one denomination or faith for years and then suddenly opened their Bible and were like, huh, that's not in there at all. And decided to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But test everything, hold on to good, and avoid every kind of evil. And I'm going to put verse 23 up on screen in the Amplified Version uh, because... He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Uh, and I want to show you what that means. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. Not a word that we use in our common language, right? But it literally means separate you from profane things. Make you pure and wholly consecrated to God. And here's why. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved, sound, and complete, and found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because just like, hey, when you go, if going back to that example, you go to pick up your family from school after school, you're like, hey, I'm late getting here, but I'm here. Here's when I knew I would get here. I'm ready to pick you up. You're going to pick up your kid, your kid, your kid. There may be 12 other kids waiting, but you're not going to take them because they're not your kids. They don't have your blood. And plus, you'd go to jail. It's called kidnapping, right? So God's going to do the same thing. When he returns to save his children from the coming wrath, he's going to take those who are his and sealed by his Holy Spirit. He's not going to take the people that said, I want nothing to do with God. He's not going to force them to go with him. He's going to take his children. Now, I'm going to kind of like speed read through uh, uh, this passage in 2 Thessalonians because it kind of ties into... A lot of what we've been talking about uh, in 2 Thessalonians, you can follow along if you want to, uh, in chapter 1 it says this, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily unsettled or alarmed by a teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word or mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Because that's, that's some of the confusion and fear. 
that we're seeing today. People are like, oh, that has already happened. We're in the end times. We're living out revelations, um, all of this stuff, and, and they're wrong. And so Paul wrote, uh, in addition to what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians, I think it was six months later, uh, there was a lot of confusion, so he wrote 2 Thessalonians to help correct that. And he says, hey, regardless of what you've been told, right, don't, don't believe the hype, because that's not what that's. And a lot of people will tell you, well, this is what the Bible says. The guy who told me we're already in the seven-year period, he said, this is what the Bible says. Go read the Bible. And I said, that's not what the Bible says. And he said, you must not be reading the same Bible as me. And I'm like, what in the ham sandwich? I am not. I'm not reading the same Bible as you because you're saying something that's the direct opposite of what the Word of God says. So <clears throat> he says this, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. And he's talking about the day when Jesus comes back to gather his people until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. This is a term that is used for what we call the Antichrist or what the Bible calls in the book of Revelations, the beast. He said he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called good or is worship so that he sets himself, in God, sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. And the Bible talks about at three and a half years in, uh, he's going to be so power hungry. He's going to be the most powerful person on the planet, government-wise, the most popular person on the planet, social media-wise. But the Jews, although they acknowledge his governing authority, are not going to acknowledge him as God. So because of his uh, uh, um, desire to be above everything, uh, he's going to go set himself up in the temple and proclaim himself to be God. And here's, this is key. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible. Paul says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. If you read in the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Thessalonica for three weeks. So for a three-week period while he was there, he talked to them about, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talked to them about the foundations of Christianity, loving your neighbor like yourself. And apparently, he thought it was important enough that he talked to them about the return of Christ. He's like, only though I'm, I'm here for three weeks, this is something that you need to know, and it's something that the people of God need to know, because it's supposed to be an encouragement. And here's the key. He says, now you know what is holding him the Antichrist, the beast, the man of lawlessness back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back, holds that full-on lawlessness back, will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So Paul indicates there is a person or personage who is preventing the beast from coming to full-blown power or the Antichrist from coming to power. Because when he comes to power, full-blown lawlessness will take over. And yes, there will be global peace and kumbaya, but not necessarily in a good way. It's because everyone will get what they want. Whether it be their sexualness, whether it be greed or whatever, everyone will be appeased because lawlessness will not be the order. It's not like he's going to come in and put in all these rules that makes everyone obey He's basically going to allow everyone to basically just do whatever you want. And when are people the happiest? When they get their way or when they're eating cupcakes from Love Made Edible. Those are so good. If you have not been there, you have to go there. But um, when they get their way. And here's what he says. There is a person 
who's holding that back? Most theologians go one of two ways. They say either it's the church that's holding back the beast or it's the Holy Spirit of God. I, I lean towards the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he throughout the scriptures. The church is not. And if the Holy Spirit of God is removed, then it makes sense that all of the Holy Spirit-filled believers would be removed as well, which is what would happen if Jesus came and took all of the Holy Spirit-filled people away. Then you would be left with a world with just lawlessness, where just whatever they wanted to do, they wouldn't have the people of God saying, hey, that's right. They wouldn't have God's moral standard kind of keeping them in check. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming, which is what it says will happen at the end when he returns. And, and the coming of the lawless one will be with accord, in accordance with how Satan works. He'll use all sorts of displays and power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. And they perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. All the people that are left behind are the people doomed to destruction, but it's by their choice. God's not going to force anyone into his kingdom. He's not going to kidnap people into his kingdom. He gives them what they want, a world without him. And it's because of that that they perish. And it says, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. And I'm going to ask the band to come up. I know we're running a little bit long, but I feel like we need to just spend some time uh, praising God uh, before we end. Because I want to end with this verse because it says, when Jesus... He, he's talking about the Thessalonians, that all these people are there, they wait, it's been told how they wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. The wrath of God poured out on humanity. And here's, here's the thing. The world is not going to get better. The church, our job is not to, like, make the world a better place. We can make our communities a better place by the way that we love one another, but our job is not to make the world a better place. Just as Jesus is coming to rescue us, we have a rescue mission that we're on to share and show the love of Christ so that those people are saved from the coming wrath. And the best example I've ever heard of this is think about if you were to suddenly be shifted back into time and you appeared on the Titanic, just as it left port. Wouldn't you spend that time, because you know what's going to happen, trying to tell people, hey, I know it sounds crazy. I know you're not going to believe me. Just like when people talk about the end times to the world, they think we're crazy. I get called a crackpot all the time. But here's the thing. You have a moral responsibility to try to save as many people as you can because you know what's coming. Or think about if you were to appear in the lobby of the Twin Towers on 9-11, an hour before the planes hit, would you just turn around and leave? Or would you like pull the fire alarm, do whatever you could to try to rescue as many people as possible? 
That's what we're called to do. Our job as Christians is not to fill buildings. Our job as Christians is not to give people to give as much money as they can. Our job as Christians is to rescue as many as possible by sharing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By sharing about the love of Christ, showing it to them with the way that we live it out and the way that we treat them and inviting them to be recipients of God's love. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, we are so grateful not only for the rescue that you will do, but for the fact that you took the time to send your son to die upon a cross so that we might experience your love, your goodness, and grace. And God, we pray. We pray that we take that message to heart and that we are willing to take that message to as many people as possible so they might escape your wrath as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you, and God bless.